now there's a new name. I am that I am sent you. Um, so let me be honest and maybe just a slight reprimand for our culture. In the Mennonite culture, we have a serious, serious lack in this new name stuff. All right, if, if we give somebody a new name, it's Big Jim or Stumpy or, and, you know, it's frivolous. There goes Windy. Uh, popular name in Pennsylvania was Windbag. Uh, I had a cousin who was nicknamed Windbag. Bopli. Uh, some Amish homes, if you're the youngest in the family, your name's Bopli. I had a, oh, I, I'm not good at this Franschhoff game, but I had a relative who couldn't remember what her youngest child's name was. Because for so many years, they called him Bopli. <clears throat> Esau. Esau's name was changed to Edom. And why was it changed to Edom? Uh, Bible says in, uh, forget the, I don't have it written down, I thought I had it written down. Somewhere there in Genesis, I believe, but his name was changed to Edom right after he traded his inheritance for a bowl of red soup. Now the name Edom means red. And it says, from the day that he traded for that one bowl of red soup, they called him Edom. Hey, Red, how's it going today? Something to just help you remember, you really goofed up. Just let's call him Red. I think we should do better at nicknames. All right, that's just my thought for our culture for our day. I don't think we should be calling people because we remember something in their past that was twisted. Let's remember that going forward. A Bible character who was faithful, many times, many of them had their name changed. And this was a positive change. Jacob was changed to Israel. Israel means one who has power with God. In Numbers 13, it explains Joshua's name was, anybody remember? Hosea. Uh, number 13, but Moses changed his name from Hosea to Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Abraham and Sarah's name were changed. Those are popular um, father and mother of many. They were changed too. And you think, well, that's Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament too. Um, Jesus changed the name of Simon, which isn't this interesting. Simon's name meant to hear. Well, that would be the last thing I would name Peter, right? Is Simon. But Jesus changed his name to Peter, the rock. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. um, Jesus changed their names to the sons of thunder. Um, Then the apostles also changed the name. I heard his name this morning. Um, in our Sunday school class, and we called him by his right name. It looks like in the original uh, writing of the King James of Acts 4, it looks like his name's Jose. It's not Jose. Um, I believe it's Josis, because I don't think they were Spanish in that day. But they changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of consolation. Now, here's a fact that Scripture clearly says. If you overcome... God will give you a new name. Everyone here who overcomes, uh, Claire, you're not going to be known as Claire in heaven as I see that when God calls you by name. Um, 
He says this, To him that overcometh will I give a white stone, and in the white stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So there's a... It's actually a beautiful thing. Uh, he will call you by a name that only you and him are connected on. Um, we give names... We give nicknames to people that we either don't like at all or hate. Like we 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 feel good about mocking them. We'll give them a nickname. Or we give nicknames to people who we deeply, deeply love and appreciate. Um, I'm not going to ask you what name you have for your spouse because I don't want to embarrass you. But you have a name that you call your spouse. That's between you and them and no one else. Right? And if somebody else would know that name, it would be like, don't you ever call my spouse that. That's between me and them, no one else. Right? No one else knows that name. And that's exactly what the picture of in heaven is. Gerald, there'll be a, a new name, that connection between you and God that, that no one else knows. It, it doesn't mean anything to anyone else, but it means everything. To you, because that's the name God addresses you as. A beautiful picture. There's another man who received a new name. We don't know much about him. First Chronicles has a whole bunch of names listed here. I'm told about 500 names. I didn't go through and count. I took Adam Clark's number and said that's good enough for me. But about 500 names listed in First Chronicles. And it tells you the list of a name I can't pronounce begat a name I can't pronounce. And they had two children of names I can't pronounce. This was before the baby name encyclopedia book kind of a thing. So trying to choose a name out of those encyclopedia books isn't all bad. Because um, at least somebody will have thought of it or realize that it is a name somewhere. So just an encouragement for you men who are at that age yet. <laughs> In these middle of the 500 names is this excerpt of a life that the writer just couldn't pass on. He, he couldn't just jump over and say, and Kena begat Othniel, and Othniel begot Hathath. He, he had to stop and say, now, before I get into this family tree, this friendship game, before I get into there, can I tell you about a man who changed his destiny? This is the man. Verse 9. <clears throat> and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. And Shelah, the brother of Shua, begat Meher, which was the father of Eshton. And Eshton begat Beth Rapheth, and these other fellows, and the father of Ernahash, and these are the men of Rekah. And the sons of Kenaz, Othniel and Sariah, and the sons of Othniel, Hathath. Japheth, sorry, Jabez had a very rough start. It says his mom named him Grief. 
Now, look at the end of Jabez's prayer. Jabez's request is, keep evil from grieving me. Keep evil from Jabezing me is actually the literally as it follows through. The Wikipedia, I, so I tried to do some research. Who is Jabez? Like, it talks about Jabez and it talks about his family lineage, but he's lost because you don't see the name Jabez again. Where is he at? How did he just come? Whoop, there's Jabez and now no Jabez. If you read Wikipedia, it states that the Hebrew history would point to Jabez as being the son of Kenaz, the father of Hathath, which if you look at verse 13, and the sons of Kenaz, Othniel, Sarah, and the sons of Othniel, Hathath. So it fits him right in the middle between Kenaz and Hathath. Hathath, I can't say that name for anything. Kenaz was the brother of Caleb. If you know where Caleb fit in and all this, his brother Kenaz had a son, Othniel. So, it, according to Wikipedia, according to Jewish history, Othniel's original name pointed to Jabez. I'll read to you from the Chaldean Targon. Um, the Targon is what the Hebrew people used to teach Scripture in finer detail to people of other languages. People from other nations and languages who were converted to Judaism that didn't understand or know all the family connections and friendship and the finer points of what's this mean in the law. Um, they spoke to those converts from the Targon to help them understand. So to understand all of this, they had the law. Um, and then to try to help people who were coming from Arabia, they had an, there's an Arabic Targon, and they would use that to try to explain in the Arabian's own language and uh, upbringing so that they could understand God's law for them. There was a Syrian Targon that they would use to try to help explain to the Syrian people how God's law works from their culture and understand those things. There's a Chaldean Targon, which was used to give explanation to these Jewish scriptures. I'll read from the Chaldean Targon. It says, And Jabez also, he is Othniel, honorable and skilled in the law beyond his brethren, whose mother called his name Jabez, because she had borne him with sorrow. And Jabez prayed to the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that in blessing thou wouldest bless me with children, and enlarge my borders with disciples, and that thy hand may be with me in business, and that thou mayest make me like to my companions, that evil concupiscence may the less grieve me. And it says the same thing as it does in the King James, and the Lord granted that which he prayed for. It's an interesting connection to Jabez Othniel. Uh, Othniel simply means force of God. What, what a picture change. Let's just call him grief. To God changing his name to force of God. He's going to accomplish things. <clears throat> Why is this important? Jabez's list of requests, if you can write them down or if you can keep these memorized. Lord, I need your blessing. Lord, enlarge my coast. Lord, that your hand would be with me. Lord, that you would keep me from evil. Lord, that you would keep evil from grieving me. And it says God looked at those requests and God answered every one of those. 
Turn to Judges chapter 3, starting at verse 9. It came quickly to a time in history after they were set up in the new land, after Caleb and Joshua persevered. Now they're established in the new land. It, it happened quickly after Joshua and Caleb died. People fell away from God. And now let's see uh, who the first judge of Israel was. Judges 3 verse 9 And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Chusan Rishantham, king of Mesopotamia. I had to study that one a long time to get there. but Into his hand. He delivered this king into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishantham, and the land had rest forty years, and Othniel the son of Kenaz died. He became a force for God. Now I want you to compare Othniel's sorry, Jabez's prayer to God granted him a request in what is listed here in Judges. Number one, Lord, I need your blessing. See where it says in verse ten, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So he, he received the blessing of God. His second request, enlarge my coast. It says he went out to war. Literally means he went out to conquer. Third, that your hand would be with me. It said the Lord delivered Chushan Rishantayim. It wasn't that he was so strong that he, he's gonna outdupe this guy and if this guy's arms are half as big as his name, he was quite a guy. But it says the Lord delivered Chushan Rishantayim. The battle was won because the Lord's hand was with him. That's the only reason the battle was won. And then his last request, keep me from evil. Keep evil from grieving me. It says the land had rest for 40 years. God gave him his request. Well, that's great for Jabez, but what does that mean for us today in 2020 in Northwoods, Wisconsin? Most people who face grief are forever defined by the bitterness of soul that results from that grief. I think no one is exempt from facing grief. Very few are able to overcome and not be defined by the struggle, the grief that they have faced. Jabez was somebody who rose up above said, I, I, I don't want to just be... Here's where we're at. The Israelites were pushed into a corner by this huge king. And God had it that way that they were pushed back because they had sinned. And most of the people were saying, well, let's just protect what we got. All right, At least we can be a family. We can raise a little bit of crops. We, we can... We can still eke out a living. It's, it's just, let's just stick really close to what we got. We can have our family over, right? And, and we can, we can hold what we got. At least we got that. But that wasn't Jabez. Jabez was, Lord, that your hand would be with me. 
and that You could enlarge our coast. We're going to go out and we're going to conquer. We're not just going to sit in our little thing and say, well, at least we got this much and, and at least we didn't get thrown out completely and killed. He says, Lord, help me to go out and enlarge my coast. I feel we as Mennonites... Uh, Patrick brought this up. I'm not sure I don't see him here. A couple of Wednesday nights ago. Are we really trying to have faith and enlarge our coast? Or are we just, let's just get in our little family and at least we got our family. All the, I know where all the Martins are going Sunday night and the Schrocks are going Sunday night and all the Weavers. And we get in our little family and thank God for family and thank God for family. Where's the man of faith who says, Lord, more than just what we got. Enlarge our coast. Let souls be one. Let people be changed. That's not going to happen if we're just saying, let's just stick with what we got. And really try hard to stick with what we got. It was an offensive maneuver when Jabez says, I'm not going to let grief Disappointments and say, oh boy, you're really stepping out of the past to find who I am in the future. Lord, enlarge our coast. I believe the first thing, I think there's three things that I see in Jabez that God changed his name and, and what are these three things that he embraced in his life that God changed his name? God saw fit to change him from someone who meant a grief to someone who was a force for God. I think the first thing I see, obviously, is the faith in God that created a new name for Jabez. Number one is the faith in God. Jabez asked for these things that he didn't currently possess. He didn't see as, well, now we're conquering. Wow, we're, we really made progress. So, Lord, would you enlarge our coast? He had faith in something that he didn't possess currently. But he saw it. Even though there was no evidence for it, he, he saw it. And he said, this can be done. Faith. Lord, I need your blessing. Lord, enlarge my coast. That your hand be with me. Lord, keep me from evil. Keep evil from grieving me. The challenge of life is, for all of us, life can only be understood backwards, right? Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. How does that work? Hindsight is twenty twenty, is the saying of our day. When you look back, you say, oh, I should have never. What was I thinking? Well, you know what you were thinking? The best you could think at the time. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Life can be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards a bit of a time. If you can look back and say that was a bad decision or that was a good decision. But life must be lived forward. And this is important to understand. How do we live life forward? Um, and it, it's in this saying, your past does not need to define your future, but your actions and beliefs today will define your future. Your past doesn't need to define that. What's ahead of you, your past doesn't need to define that. But your actions and your beliefs today will define that future. That's how we live life forward. 
by living today, understanding completely that my actions and my beliefs will define my future. <clears throat> Jabez had grief in his past, but you know, one day he came to the spot where he says, my belief today and my actions today are this. Lord, that you would be with me, enlarge my coast, let your hand be upon me, and don't let evil come my way. That's today, and I'm moving forward. <clears throat> His actions and beliefs today define who he was in the future. Faith in God. That is the number one reason that he changed his name from grief to force for God. You know, there are beliefs that sound good today. I'll touch on this very briefly. And they will define who we are in the future. Your beliefs today will define who you are in the future. I read an article from Melvin Lehman who looked at Martin Luther and his statement and how that belief changed the future for the Protestant church. His Martin Luther's statement that he pushed and pushed and pushed, faith alone. How many times is faith alone written in Scripture? It's, it's recorded as one verse one time. And it's in James. And it actually is opposite of what Martin Luther King is saying. <clears throat> Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, it's only by faith we can come to Jesus Christ and be saved. However, this was the belief. Martin Luther accurately looked at the Catholic Church selling indulgences and saying you can't be saved by buying an indulgence and thinking you're going to get away with this. It's impossible. It's faith alone in Christ. That one belief says behind it, look, the actions don't matter anymore. It's faith alone. If you use the word alone. How does that affect the future of the Protestant congregations? The, the future of the Protestant church? What Martin Luther saw that effect even, and he went back and he said, oh, that he could have had some of those things straightened out. Because... It's not that far off, and it truly is faith alone, but you also have to have the complete understanding of Scripture. Because my belief today is going to affect the future. Um, and I believe um, beliefs or theology that's based on personal experience is usually ditch-oriented, if you can catch what I'm saying. Whether it be to the left or the right or wherever, but somewhere you're flying in the ditch. Beliefs or theology that is based on personal experience is usually ditch-oriented. Our theology must be based on the truth, the, the written word, that this is what's truth, not based on my experience. So as I look at Martin Luther and his statement and his belief that he fully embraced, I believe it was in reaction to the Catholic selling indulgences. You, you can't be saved that way. But from his reaction, could he fly into the other ditch and say, look, actions don't matter. It's just what you say. It's just the faith that you have. Jabez, I believe it's important for us to understand 
from Martin Luther, from Jabez, from whoever, beliefs or theology that is based on personal experience is usually ditch-oriented. We have to understand, though, what we believe today, how we act today, will define what our future is tomorrow. That's why what we believe as a church is extremely important. For And it might not even shipwreck somebody today, but in the future. That's why godly men with perception can help us understand as we work together, as we come together, what should our actions and belief be today so that we can define our future and live forward. It's so easy to look in the past and become empowered, out of angry of what happened in our past, and live in that grief and never rise up in faith like Jabez. Jabez became Othniel because of faith. And I think the second reason was because of the way he handled excuses. Excuses. How you handle excuses will define your character in the future. And I wonder, I don't, I don't know, I wonder how many things have been accomplished for God by people that accepted excuses for themselves. I, I really wonder. Look at their past. Look at the grief that they've had. And pull out an excuse. Well, I know I, I'm not maybe right, but you know, if you look at my past and how I was taught and how I was raised or how my grandpa or how my... or And here's our excuse. This is why I want to live like I am. <clears throat> George Washington Carver, 99% of failure, sorry, 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. Henry Ward Beecher followed up, the real man is one who always finds excuses for others, but never excuses himself. I, I, I like that. You can make excuses for others. That's no problem at all. But don't make an excuse for yourself. You never... Sorry, if you focus on excuses, you never get farther than your past. Why? Because you're always looking back. Well, but see, I, I can do this because... Or I, I don't have to get up front and speak because... And you're looking to your past. Or I, I shouldn't have to... I know God would probably want me to, but... And now we look to our past. As soon as we say but. How many great men of God have had to overcome excuses? You know, if we would be honest, we'd all have to say, I tend to give an excuse when something comes my way. And if you would look honestly at Scripture, you would see just about every one of the men God used had to overcome their excuses. He could start with Moses. Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore. So, I, I like this. He says, Moses, I have, Moses says to God, I haven't been able to speak up to this point, all right? And nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, or even since you told me to lead out. I still can't speak. Okay, so I couldn't there, and now you told me to do it, and I still can't. And what did the Lord say? Take that excuse and throw it behind you. Who made your mouth? 
And we go to Jeremiah. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm a child. And the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. Don't, don't say that, Jeremiah. Don't you say that. For thou shalt go that all, sorry, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Get rid of the excuse, and it's time to take a stand. It's time to live going forward. Elijah, you know Isaiah, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Jonah, how many excuses did he try to come up with? Peter, it's time to go to Cornelius. Are you kidding? He's unclean. So that was the excuse. I like Ananias. God came to Ananias and says, Hey, I have a man here that's over at the street straight, and I need you to go to talk to him. His name's Saul. Ah, uh, God, you're forgetting a couple details. Do you know what he's done to my friends in the past? There's my excuse. And God could say, Ananias, he's blind. You could hit him. He don't even know where it came from. But we're so focused on how's this going to work for me. Where's my excuse that I don't have to do what God tells me and really needs done? You know, there's no one here who can say, you know, I really haven't been blessed by God. God put me in a in just an upheaval of life and you're so blessed that people around you don't even understand how well that you live. And yet when we're called to just reach out and enlarge our coast, here comes 900 excuses. And they think, well, or we think, well, it make, the excuse makes sense to me, so then that, that, that makes it right. And that, that, then it's done. But God says to Jeremiah, don't tell me those excuses. If you know my call on your life, step out. Jabez was changed to Othniel because of faith, because of excuses, and because of endurance. You know, all of this headway that he made in conquering this huge king with a huge name and a huge army, he was act- it actually means uh, Kushan was the place where he was from. And the last name meaning power times two. He, he was in control of two large nations. This was a big king to overcome. And, you know, he could say, well... Thank the Lord He delivered him in our hands. We're free. We're victorious. Praise the Lord. Now we can go back to just living life. There was something very important that Jabez saw. He said, Lord, after these victories, after You enlarge my coast, there's something extremely important. That You keep evil from me. And that You keep evil from grieving me. Because, friends, if, if evil puts its spot on Othniel or on the land... Every all the headways that they made is going south real fast. Really going fast south. So it wasn't just faith. It wasn't just overcoming excuses. It was the endurance against evil. 
He's saying, Lord, save me, keep me from evil. And it says, God granted him his request. You see it here in Judges where it says there was 40 years of peace in the land because they endured against evil. The verses just previous to this says they were over, they had evil and God turned them over to this very king that they had to overcome. You know, there's people who have accomplished many incredible tasks for God. There's, there's radio preachers and Hey, listen, we can, we can take the radio preacher because of their failure and just curl it all up in a ball and just throw it in the trash and say, well, there never was anything. Or actually, probably what happens to each of them and each of us is when we do overcome, when we do make progress, when we do enlarge our coasts, Satan's goal is not huge. It's just to spot you with evil and to keep evil grieving you, pursuing you, spotting you. Because He knows, just like the children of Israel, when they allowed sin in their lives, unaccounted for, everything's going south because God's hand is not going to be with them. That was the sin of Balaam and Balak. There's people who have accomplished many incredible things for God who had everything go south because of evil. There's a man named Uzziah, and I remember Claire preaching on Uzziah. I'll summarize. I have the passage here, but I I won't have you turn to it because of lack of time. Uzziah was a man who accomplished incredible things. He he had faith in God. He overcame excuses. Like it seemed like every other king was a deadbeat in, in Israel, and Uzziah had to overcome the deadbeats before him. He made progress. He enlarged his border. He, he was standing for God. But then evil came his way. Evil spotted him and destroyed him. He was known as Uzziah the king. One day he, it says his heart was lifted up. That's all that it took for the evil to spot him. His heart was lifted up. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And it says an 81 priest came to Uzziah and says, Uzziah, you shouldn't do this. You should not do this. But you know what Uzziah said? It says he was very angry. And he was going to go forward anyway. There's something about stubbornness. There's something about ignoring the people around you that are trying to help us understand that we can endure against evil because there's things that we're battling with that we're looking at the wrong side of the coin. And 81 priests tried to help Uzziah say, look at the right side of the coin. You can't do this, Uzziah. And immediately, Uzziah got leprosy. And you know, at the end of his life, you know how they knew it was Uzziah? They called him the leper. Not King Uzziah. His name wasn't changed for the better. They just said, oh, there goes the leper. And it wasn't because he didn't enlarge his coast. It wasn't because he didn't overcome excuses. He, he did all those things. It was simply because he didn't endure against evil. That was simply the bottom line for Uzziah. If you look at the 
passage in Revelation 2 to the church of the angel of Pergamos. says, Write these things. Thou hast not denied my faith. Faith is of utmost importance. If we don't have faith in Jesus Christ as our living Savior, we, we can dress right, we can smell right, we can live right to the best that we can. We will never enter heaven's gates without faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and deliver us from our sins. Faith is of utmost importance. And he says to this church of Pergamos, Right, thou hast not denied my faith. Then he says, But I have a few things against thee, because that thou hast them there to hold the doctrine of Balaam, and also the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So he says, Your faith is great. However, there's an evil that wants to put its spot on you, and it's going to wipe you out. So he says to them, to him that overcometh. You need to endure against evil. To him that overcometh. I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in his stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So he's saying to those people, have faith, continue on in faith. Don't allow evil to spot you. And when this is all over, you're going to have a white stone with a new name. And you and God will have that connection that no one will even understand or, e- or even, even know. Jabez's name was changed to Othniel. I wonder when life is over what God's name will be for each one of us. Live in faith. Eliminate personal excuses. Endure as good soldiers. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I thank You for Your Word of Life. Lord, I pray that the Word of Life would inspire us to live right. Lord, our children's futures are at stake. Our futures are at stake. And the church, as we as a brotherhood, our future is at stake. That we would hold faith. Lord, that we wouldn't be just giving excuses of things that have happened in the past. Lord, that we would endure as good soldiers and be faithful against evil that wants to spot us. Lord, I pray for your anointing on each one who has come out today. I pray, Lord, that they would sense your spirit and your power as Jabez did. And Lord, thank you that we can look forward to that time when we receive a new name. And I pray, Lord, that each one here would have that new name written in glory. In Jesus' name, amen.